Hello, my name's Alex, and welcome to Alex Listens, a podcast about philosophy and politics and race and mental health. Today, I sat down with a musician from Melbourne called Gregor. Uh, Gregor and I spoke about a number of different things, from uh, what what it's like being in Melbourne's creative scene, um, what it's like being the child of migrant parents, um, whether Melbourne is actually, you know, a, a truly multicultural place. Um, we spoke about um, mental health and whether music can be some kind of therapy, whether it's a chore, whether it's a combination of both. Um, and we also spoke about um, Gregor's music and what it's like, how it's changing over time, why it's changing over time, and this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, before I play you the episode, a few quick things to mention. If you're enjoying my podcast or any of the other work I do, you can support it. And you can do so via Patreon. Um, there'll be a link in the bio of this podcast episode or on PayPal. There's also a link in the bio um, for that. Um, that's the first thing I needed to mention. The second thing is that I'm running a beginner's philosophy course for anyone who's wanting to learn about philosophy. Um, at this point in time, it looks like it's going to be happening mostly online. But if restrictions ease um, and we can return to teaching in person, um, there'll be a number of classes in person as well as some classes online running each week. Um, the class, this will be the third time that I've run it, the third semester, the third intake. Um, and it's looking like it's going to start in about a month's time. So mid-August 2021. Um, and it will go for six weeks. We'll cover six different topics. It's pay what you can afford. And yeah, it will be in North Fitzroy or in Carlton, um, one of these areas in the inner north of Melbourne. Um, and finally, uh, if you're wanting to stay up to date with the work I'm doing, upcoming projects, collaborations, and so on, the best place to find me is on social media. Um, the best place to find me on social media is on Instagram. And my handle is at AlexListens. Finally, um, make sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe. Um, and also subscribe on Spotify. I'm pretty sure that's going to help, um, you know, the algorithm and so on. Um, and last but not least, I owe ARBS, the band, and my friend Jess Zanoni a big thank you for allowing me to use their beautiful music as my intro music for the podcast. So you're going to hear that right about now. <laughs> Okay, so hey, today I'm here with Gregor. How's how's it going? Going well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, how have you been? What's 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 happening in your life at the moment? I uh, got my wisdom teeth out about 13 days ago, and like everything in life, I find something to obsess about. And this time it was the blood clot that's supposed to form, and they say that you need that there, and if you dislodge it, then you get dry socket, which Apparently, it's severe pain. I don't think I did dislodge the blood clot, but one of the holes did get infected, and it's been the bane of my existence. Um, eating soft bread soaked in soup and um, trying to avoid getting any food stuck in there and rinsing with salt water four or five times a day. Holy shit. That sounds like... That sounds pretty unpleasant. Yeah. Um, I'm this, on antibiotics now, so it's all going it's all uphill. Good. Yeah, this dry socket stuff is. I remember someone showed me a photo of like what it what it looks like and and how you can. It's pretty like how you can suck the blood. You can suck the blood clot out. Yeah. <laughs> have you been like been very careful to try and not dislodge the? Blood yeah, clot? I have, and I've been with the um, with my phone torch in my mouth. Nice. At the mirror constantly, seeing nice. if it's still there. True. And it's still there? Oh, well, at this stage, I don't think it's supposed to be. I think it's been long enough. I think it's just the first few days that you need to be careful. Now, I don't know what's going on, but there's no pain anymore. So, that's good. True. Do you feel like the having your wisdom teeth out is a good thing? Or is it like another random surgery that you've been, you know, kind of thrown into? 
Yeah, well, I thought I didn't have to get them out, but then every few months I'd get like a slight infection in the flap behind my wisdom tooth. And that was getting too exhausting that I decided let's let's get them out. Several dentists have said that I can if I want. Um, and when they did come out and I held them in my hand, I felt like a lot lighter, like having these two large things removed from my head. And I've decided that that they took with them some kind of unnecessary toxin from me. And now I feel smarter and happier. Wow. Well, maybe I should I should get mine out. Um, Do I they thought, cause problems? Uh, I remember one time I was driving on the freeway and I like I felt the tooth push through. And then for three days I couldn't. Like I was just in pain and then that same thing happened for every wisdom tooth. And then I went to the dentist and they were like, Alex, your head is so big that like, it's really not a problem. There's room for them. There's like so much room for the wisdom teeth to grow into, which is pretty funny. Um, But I'm glad, I'm glad it, I'm glad it feels like you've had something, you know, some kind of burden You've shed some kind of burden. Yeah. Um, are you superstitious? Um, not um, not religiously, but every now and then I make up my own kind of superstitions, you know, and it's like simple things like if I unload forks and knives and spoons from the dishwasher, I have to do them all in groups. Like I can't just go two knives, then a spoon, then a fork. I have to do all the forks and all the knives and all the spoons. Otherwise something will go wrong in my life. But then other times I force myself to do them in a random order just to prove that, you know, I don't want to get too deep in those things and then be, you know, a slave to them. Yeah. I really feel that. Um, Like I really, especially the kind of forcing yourself to go against the, like the, the um, superstitious like trend that you've developed. Um, Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like my whole life, like, because especially at times when I've been really anxious, I've been like hypersensitive to patterns whenever I've like done something in a particular way a number of times and something bad happens or something good happens. I'm like, I must either keep doing this thing. I must stop doing it. Like I must take my, take all the forks out. Um, and what's, yeah, I guess like, one thing I've been thinking about recently is how I've got a friend who's like a real science bro and he's always like science can answer everything. Like there is no such thing as superstition. Uh, like, oh, yeah. um, and you know, f- maybe for a while, a few years ago, I was like sympathetic to that view. And I was like, maybe, maybe it's true. Maybe it's just some kind of like, maybe I'm just anxious as fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, but recently I've been like, really appreciating the kind of like the importance of these things of like being superstitious and like noticing trends and noticing patterns and stuff it's like it's pretty nice yeah yeah i think um i mean when it comes down to the specifics i'm sure and i do believe science can explain things better than alternative explanations but like all things, you need things in moderation and I don't think constant science is the answer. You need a bit of superstition and a bit of fantasy or, or a great deal of fantasy in for, to be happy and to be okay. You can't just rely on science. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so apart from, your, apart from your wisdom teeth and apart from the forks, spoons and knives, um, how is everything going? Are you... Like how... It's one thing I'm really interested in is hearing about how your relationship to music has changed with like COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, because I guess, you know, you've been forced, we've all been forced to be alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, what's happened, what's happened there? How's, how's that been? I think, I think music for a long time has been the one constant in my life. 
in that, you know, no matter what's happening in the outside world or in the other aspects of my life, I can always turn to that and I have that, you know, I own that, it's my thing. So in that sense, I don't think COVID really affected it that much. Unless, you know, unless, except for the fact that I might have been awarded a bit more time to spend on it, or at other times actually less time, like in that first year of lockdown, I was barely doing music, I was more um, more turning to other things like home improvements or going for walks and doing the things that I wouldn't usually do with my spare time. So maybe it made me do less music rather than more. But at the same time, I don't think it affected it much. Music's always there and I turn to it when I want and need. Hmm. And do you, do you feel like music is a job for you in the same way that like maybe a part-time or casual job is, or does it feel, cause you said that, you know, it's something that you turn to when you need to or want to. So it feels like it's might be quite different from a job. Yeah. Well, I like, I like to think of it as more than a job. I think it sits higher on my hierarchy of things than work. Say if I have the opportunity to work for a day and make money off it, I feel like that day would be better spent making music, even if I'm not making money to live. So I don't I've looked for a word for it. I don't know if vocation is the right word. That kind of sounds job, jobby, the word vocation, but it's at the top of my list. It's like the, the best way I could possibly be spending my time and the most fulfilling spiritually and creatively for me. So... I don't know. I need to find the right word for it. Mm. It, it is a jo- I mean, if it became a job, then it would be a job and that. Mm. Yeah. Do you like having a separation between music and like job work? Like, would you feel okay if music became this? Would you want music to become something that is like a full-time thing that you're doing? So I used to think that I mean, this is even before I worked. This was when I was at school. I actually didn't pick music as one of my subjects in high school or in university because I thought that it would uh, jade me or something. You know, it was this thing that I did. And if I had to do it more seriously or be graded on it, that it would um, put me off it. And for a while, I thought that my job should be something completely different as well. But recently, maybe even this year, I've realized that it that doing something completely different might be even more exhausting than doing the thing you love as a job so now i'm totally open to doing music as a full-time i mean if i was just making my own songs and i was making enough money off people enjoying them then that would be that would be a win like i'd be set but i'd also be interested in doing other musical jobs that aren't necessarily my project hmm. so yeah i'm open is the answer hmm. um in preparing for this interview i read some like brief written interviews that you had done with like I think maybe rolling stone australia or some some other um music organization and one thing that was really interesting was that you when someone asked you something like you know are you interested in doing collaborations do you have any upcoming collaborations um you said something like uh you know music has always been or music is something that like is very personal for you and maybe you find it easier to do to make music when you're doing it by yourself and one thing you mentioned is that you're an only child um i'm an only child and I like I I understand the feeling of being like overwhelmed by kind of group projects and things like that. So I was wondering if you could talk a bit about about that. Yeah, sure. Well, I, I'd be open to collaborations, but it should be made clear that it would be very different. You know, it would be a different thing, a different um, endeavor for me entirely than it is to make music by myself. Um, the pace changes, obviously, you know, being an only child, you, you follow your own pace through basically your whole life. And then that 
bleeds into anything you do, whether it's making a song or whatever. So to work with someone else, you need to meet somewhere in the middle of your two paces, whether they're faster or slower than you, or even if they're the same speed, it's still, um, you need to meet in the middle somewhere. Otherwise, it's not really a collaboration. If one person feels drained and the other person might feel um, out of their depth or something, or one person might be really enjoying it and the other person doesn't like what's coming out, but you can't, unless you're really close and honest with each other, you can't really, um, you know, speak about that. And one person's either pretending to like it or, you know, just doing it for the, to get it done or whatever. So collaborating can be hard unless you're very in tune people with each other and with each other's tastes and stuff. That, that sounds like I'm talking negatively about collaborating. It can also be very good and, you know, you can come up with things that you never would have come up by yourself and meeting in the middle actually becomes, like they say, uh, the, the total is greater than the sum of the parts or whatever. So I'm open to collaborating, but I don't necessarily um, need it, you know. I'm lucky in that a lot of people... Being creative, sometimes they rely on other people, whether it's for technical things or for um, infrastructural things. You know, if they can't make it at home, they need a studio or money or resources, or they are part of a band who always make music together and they don't really do it individually. So I'm lucky that I can, for the rest of my life, make music by myself if I want, but I also do want to collaborate. And I just haven't thus far had many opportunities to and haven't really sorted out myself but I, I yeah again it sounds like i'm talking it down but i'm really open to doing it um you said something interesting that uh, about being an only child and that you said something like you know as an only child you you set your own pace um and kind of work through things at your own rhythm. Is that, do you feel that way when you make your own music? Like, is it, is music, yeah, I guess, you know, what, what's the experience like for you of making music? Yeah. Well, about the pace thing, like, it sounds like I'm saying that, you know, I've developed a very quick pace or something. And if I were to work with someone else, it would slow me down or, or the opposite. If I were to work with someone else who, had an even quicker pace then I'd have to rush or something but it's not quite it's not a constant pace it's you know sometimes I do things really quickly sometimes I tire and have to stop for a while so it's actually the fact that my pace is constantly changing while I'm doing things and that's okay you know if it's if I slow down then I can if I want to go faster or if I want to stop I can if you're with someone else and your paces are going all over the place then I imagine that would be a bit trickier to um to have an end result um what's the experience of making music like for me i think i end up more often than not entering what they call the flow state you know so i forget to eat and forget to switch on the light if if it's gotten dark outside you know i can spend hours doing that and yeah that's pretty much um the best way I can find to spend time. Hmm. I feel like one of the hardest, at least one of the biggest challenges I face is getting into the flow state. I feel like I spend a very small amount of my total kind of creative output or time pursuing creative things in the flow state. Do you feel like you have understood what it takes for you to get into the flow state? Do you have a good awareness of like what your needs are and so mm, on? Probably not, actually. Um, I don't think... I've never been able to force it or just induce it. It either happens or it doesn't. I guess I'm just lucky that I've reached a point now where it kind of happens semi-regularly or whenever I... Not whenever. What am I talking about? Maybe one in three times I sit down to do music, I get it, I achieve it. But um, equally, when I sit down and I don't get it, it can be very distressing. And then I kind of lose all hope and give up and say, well, what's the point? But it's enough to get it every now and then to remember what it's like when you do get it. And 
not give up. Hmm. Yeah. How did you get into music in the first place? Uh, my parents bought me like a toy keyboard and I messed around on that. And maybe I was more attentive to it than um, average people. And my mum noticed that. And then they gave me keyboard lessons in primary school for a bit. And then I switched to guitar when School of Rock came out. Um, Actually? Yeah, pretty much. Well, I did. I switched to drums and did a few lessons. And then my parents told me you should switch to guitar because we're not, we can't buy you drums. <laughs> yeah. But we can buy you a guitar. And I did that till like year nine or something. And then the, my teacher moved to Canada. Oh, wow. And it was pretty much when I stopped um, having prescribed music uh, activity. I took a break for a while and then I guess it was missing from my life in some way. And that's when I started to do it of my own accord and figured out that I could plug in to the computer and record things. So from there, it pretty much steadily uh, steadily became a thing that I do, but specifically recording. And that's how, it, that's how my kind of musical identity evolved was through recording lots of different instruments and kind of trying to shape songs. Yeah. So the writing and the recording is always at the same time. Mm. And that's how I still do it today. Mm. Hmm. And have you found have you found that your like you have turned to music for different reasons at different points in your life? Like for example, I remember uh like my mum was pretty strict with me and music when I was a kid. You know, there was kind of no, there was no option for me not to play an instrument. Oh, yeah. um, and I remember I didn't enjoy it for a really long time. Like I played guitar for like, actually, funnily enough, my my first guitar teacher was the uh, the guy who played the flute in Men at Work. Really? Yeah, <laughs> a guy called Greg Ham. Um, who actually, yeah, sadly passed away while I was in primary school. Um, while you were a student? Yeah. You know, yeah. Of, of his? Yeah, and I didn't know until later. Like, I, I, like I was, I don't know, like in grade four or something. Yeah. And they were like, Greg's not working here anymore. And I was like, what? He was my teacher yesterday or something. Um, yeah. So that, that was like, I remember... Like, you know, I only kind of learnt that he had, um, yeah, that he had, he had died when I was in like year 10 or something. Right. Yeah. So you didn't know for five years why you didn't have lessons anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I switched, I switched to a different teacher. Um, but yeah, I remember like my relationship to music has like really changed. Like from being a like child to being a teenager to being like a 24 year old now like i feel like over the past four or five years i've been playing guitar like semi-regularly as like some kind of therapy yeah or something yeah. um and you know when i was a kid you know it wasn't as far as i'm aware any kind of therapy it was, it was like a chore yeah, yeah it was like a chore you know some like strange torture um so yeah, I'm wondering what, like how it's how it's been for you, and like you know whether even over the past few years, it's your your the reasons you've turned to it have whether they've changed. They changed, I think. Like I said in Year Nine, when the teacher moved away, and then for me, it, it um, uh, what's the word? Transformed from a chore to a enjoyable pursuit um and ever since then it's pretty much if if it doesn't feel like it's doing something for me then like i said you know i stop if if i want to if it's not going somewhere then i stop and then come back when i need to so i think not being forced to do it is very important and i don't really force myself either i don't think there would be any benefit to forcing myself to make music i'm lucky that i've never had any deadlines or anything like that you have to make a song or whatever 
Um, so that kind of freedom is good. You just do it when you can, and before long, it become it it becomes the thing you want to do uh, as often as possible. Mm. Um, why do I turn to it? I think the reason I turn to it has always been this. I can't really pinpoint, and I, until you asked that, I hadn't really thought about it. But it's I turn to it for sense of escape and fulfillment creative and i'll use the word spiritual but it's something you know something inside yeah yeah it's really interesting how some things are like the the line between it's hard to know where escapism begins and where like spirituality ends it feels like they're often the same or like the experience is combined into something um, yeah. And like your music, especially more than other music I've heard feels like extremely personal. Like it feels like it's really like, you know, a, it feels like very emotional and very like full of like, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like it's full of things that you are thinking about or feeling at the time in a way that's very clear. Yeah. Um, is that Thank is you. that is that true? Um, I'd say maybe it is. I feel like my mind works in a very simple way, in a very literal most of the time. So I kind of lack the perspective sometimes to think broader than what I'm feeling or thinking at the time. So I think maybe the result of that is that what I sing about or what the songs are about is pretty much a reflection of what I'm feeling. Mm. But I've, I feel like I could, I could go even more personal and I think I'm doing that these days. Mm. So it's nice to hear that the old stuff where I probably had some inhibitions to be very honest or personal, I'm glad that that actually comes across that way because then the, the stuff I'm making now I'm, might end up being a really deep dive into the psyche or something Mm. and what's changed like how come how come you're feeling less inhibited i guess uh validation along the way and more confidence and also just striving to go deeper otherwise i don't feel like i'm uh what's that word i this always happens i always they're simple words but all the time i i just Forget them. Uh, progressing. <laughs> I think mm. that's it. Mm. I've got to keep going deeper so that I feel like I'm getting somewhere rather than doing all the same motions constantly. Mm. Do you respond well to, like, do you respond well to feedback and, and like, external validation? Validation, yes. Feedback, it depends. If I depends where I am at with the project, like say I'm starting on a new album or something, and I've got two songs, and that's that's it. You know, in my head, I know what the album could be, but the the rest of the songs don't exist yet. I've got two songs, and I get a bit excited and proud about them. I got to be careful with when I seek feedback because if I seek it too early, and the response from the person I'm showing or people. Whether they, they might not mean to, you know, they might just be in a different mood and not receptive at the time to what I'm showing them. But if it's anything less than absolute praise, then that can give me a bit of doubt. So now I'm a bit more strategic and I keep things to myself until until I know that they're what I want them to be or until I'm, I've settled with them and I know that they're good and then it doesn't matter what people think. Mm. Yeah. You can't let people um, sway you. Not not sway you. I'm I'm forgetting the word again. But you can't. I think you've got to believe in yourself always, and you can't um, shouldn't use other people as a. You can help me with the words here. Um, it'll only do you a disservice to use other people to confirm 
the direction you're taking because they're not doing it you're doing it you know it's your thing you got to follow your instinct and then when you're done with it then you can let people enjoy it or not but you can't let them sway you while you're doing it otherwise you'll just unless you're super confident and you don't care what people think but you know you just yeah yeah it's really i think i have quite a different relationship to validation in the sense that i and and feedback i think i'm like pretty good with feedback um like but i guess maybe i haven't had the experience of like i'm not sure i've made something equivalent to an album or a song that like has been part of a whole like i'm not sure i've like put something out into the world or like ask people for um for feedback on like you know like a piece of writing or something early on um but i feel like one like you know the stereotype of or like you know i'm trying to because i feel like my i i have you know after having been in therapy for like a number of years one thing that's like come out of therapy has been an awareness of the way like the strictness of my parents has meant that it's really hard for me to receive or to like know how to navigate feedback and validation um and i feel like today it's nearly impossible for me to feel validation or to like trust feedback like positive feedback i feel like the only thing that i know how to handle is is like criticism right that's the only thing that like makes sense to me i feel like everything else i'm like <laughs> you think it's fake and the yeah I'm like what's lying? going on here yeah. like it's obviously not good like it obviously needs more work like why are you telling me it's good yeah right i can kind of relate to that in a way not that my parents were strict but my dad often would say you know from very uh, from when i started doing any kind of creative work he said i'm not going to be one of those parents that says everything's lovely and blah, blah, blah. but what that actually meant was that whenever i'd show him something it wouldn't be negative but it would always no matter what be constructive criticism you know it should be this or you could do this a bit or it needs more bass or whatever like you know it meant that um it wasn't negative but it wasn't either positive you know? uh, it wasn't the uh, praise you know um so in a way i can relate to you when then later when i actually showed music to people who weren't my dad and they'd say it's good you think that they're lying or something you know because you're used to a different response yeah yeah and like you know off air we were talking about like our family where our families are from like we're both we both have eastern european parents um and i feel like a lot of my you know macedonian serbian croatian bulgarian friends have like really like you know i feel like you know, my mum has always made fun of parents who were like, oh, wow, like, oh, yeah. you know, you're so talented. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like... It's like a crap drawing or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like a lot of my friends who have Eastern European parents, all of them, like, all of the... Or most of the parents are, like, you know, very hesitant to give praise. Yeah. And, like, to be... <laughs> To be yeah, like, yeah. wow, like, because praise is only for the best, and until you're the best, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, I think like it's really, it's really reassuring and like relieving to hear that you're able to draw, like, you're able to take stuff from like if someone is well, I don't know if like, okay, so like I really like your music. If someone tells you that they really like your music, like, you know. Are they like different? Does it feel different coming from different people? Like, you know, positive feedback or like, are you able to kind of, like if a random person DMs you and they're like, Gregor, oh my God, like, you know, this song like changed my life. Are you like, yes. Yeah, that, that's nice. I, I yeah. like that. I do appreciate that. I think maybe I've, I've experienced two extremes and nothing in between, which is the first being 
only ever construct like it sounds like i'm saying that my dad's feedback is bad or that or that he's kind of in some way um negatively affected my creative uh creative um, development but he hasn't he's a great dad you know i couldn't fault him but i think i've only experienced the two extremes because for a long time he was the only person i showed anything to and so I always thought, oh, I could be better. I could be better. Mm. And then when I did start showing friends, it was the total opposite. Everyone loved everything. And then I think I got used to that. So now now I need that. I can't go back to if I get any kind of constructive criticism. Unless it's like quite in tune and I agree with it and I think, oh, that's a good idea, which happens sometimes. It's like I can't have anything less than praise now because I've experienced only two extremes and mm. one's better than the other. <laughs> so... Hmm. And do you do you ever wish that, like, your dad had had a different attitude towards? No, I think I'm thinking about it now. I think it had a good effect on me. I think, yeah, I think it actually was a um, advantage in my development. Um, had another thought. Oh, I've come to recognize that that. Um, there are enough people who do like my work that it's for them. It doesn't matter if some people don't like it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Like, you know, my music's not for my dad. You know, if he if he's always got something to say about it, then I don't have to show him anymore. I can show the people that do like it. And I get enough validation from them that if my dad says, oh, it should be a bit more like this. Well, there's this other person there who says it's perfect. So, mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's really cool. I feel like that's a huge like a huge psychological step especially if you've had parents who are invested in your personal projects like to because i like you know i get heaps of unsolicited feedback on my podcast from my dad oh yeah and i'm like he's like yeah that's yeah you got the same sort of thing yeah he just he's always like you know episode 46 i listened to it like you know what you said the question you asked at the 20th minute like you should have framed it differently i'm like dude what the fuck are you talking about like <laughs> like it's a podcast man <laughs> yes will you listen back to this one and say oh you shouldn't have talked about me at all <laughs> yeah, probably probably i think recently actually he was like i've stopped listening because you never you never take on board what i tell you <laughs> which is pretty funny um but back to the thing about praise validation or criticism or whatever that all that aside it's it's my own standard that i set and whether it's like it needs to fulfill something in me so all that stuff is secondary you know it's i'm the person making it and i'm the person that's sitting with it until it's finished and then people can do what they want with it but yeah that's why you that's why i was saying it's bad to early on show someone something before you you're happy with it and you've brought it to a level that you want it to be so my own um my own assessment of my own work trumps everything else that's that's awesome like that's actually like really awesome i feel like that's a like i really want to be able to trust my judgment of my work more because i feel like yeah i feel like i'm not i'm really not there yet in terms of like you know making something and feeling like it's feeling like it's good and trusting that feeling. I feel like there's always like so much doubt. Yeah. Um, and I feel like maybe with the podcast, like, you know, now it's kind of got to the point where I'm like, like I, I do an interview and then I edit it and then I release it and I like don't think about it. Mm-hmm. Like I don't re-listen to it. People are like, oh my God, like how do you edit them? Like, you know, do you think about them all the time? I'm like, no, like I literally don't. Like, you know, I, I, I've, I enjoyed the process. I enjoy like doing the interview, but then afterwards, like, you know, I feel like if I begin asking myself whether it's something that I thought I did a good job of, then like I begin to spiral. Oh yeah. And so I have to like cut it really. Oh, well that's, I think that's a good thing. If you're not thinking about it, you just go with your instinct that I work like that as well. If you spend too long on it, then you start to lose perspective. It's a common thing. I think always moving fast, and using your instinct is better than overthinking things. Hmm. And 
one other one other thing I wanted to ask you um, is about the. So you said that now, or maybe like you know, over the past little while, you've tried to make your music more personal. Yeah. Um, are you like? Are you? Do you feel? kind of uncomfortable at all with being vulnerable in that way or do you see it as a like a constructive and healthy and good thing i think um i think i see it as a good thing i'm not scared of being vulnerable because it's always one step removed you know by the time someone hears a song it's just a piece of art whether it reflects your true feeling or not so it's not like i'm sitting in front of someone and telling them something deep and dark and personal about myself it's always got that buffer you know they're just they're listening to it in headphones somewhere 25 kilometers from me or whatever so in that sense it's kind of become easier to be vulnerable and also i know that for a long time i listened to music and didn't hear a single lyric because i was just focusing on how the songs sound and stuff so it's not like some people might but not everyone sitting there and listening to every word and trying to draw out conclusions of my psyche or whatever. So there's a lot of steps of removal, I think, from from a true reflection of my state. So, yeah, it's becoming easier to be vulnerable. Um, was that the question? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, and... I when I listen to music, I feel like I rarely have any awareness of what the lyrics are. There you go. Yeah, but like it takes an effort to you have to decide to listen to the lyrics for it to happen. Yeah, yeah. which is like I think it's a pretty like you know there are like some other some of my friends have been like I listen to particular bands because their lyrics are so good. Like I don't think I've like you know I very rarely have an awareness of what someone's saying. Yeah. In, do you do you also feel that way? Uh, mo- more often than not, like my default state is to not actually take in the words, but more hear the sound and everything. But I kind of like that because then it gives each song two levels of experience. You know, you can you have the, the passive way of hearing things. And then when you realize, oh, I'm not listening to lyrics, you can go back and this time decide to listen to them. And it gives... A whole new level to the song and i like that you know mm. Mm. one other thing i wanted to talk about um is what it's been like for you growing up as uh as the child of eastern european parents um who who moved here pretty recently um yeah so i guess like how how has have you felt that melbourne is a welcoming place uh it's hard to say i mean more or less i mean you know as a child if other other children aren't a reflection of the the place you know i mean if you get bullied or whatever that that can happen to anyone but more or less, yeah, I think I, I like being in Melbourne. Um, I was lucky that my parents made a conscious effort to try not to um, to try not to pass on to me their neuroses and anxieties about starting a new life and feeling secure and, and all that stuff. You know, they tried to give me a nice childhood and they succeeded. So I was very lucky in that sense. Um, but it takes a toll in the long run, you know, I won't get into that, but, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder and anxieties and things, you can't, they, they, they rear their heads eventually, you know? Mm. Hmm. Yeah. And I guess the reason why I, I asked that question is because, uh, you know, one of the, one of the things that Melbourne celebrates about itself is its inclusivity and its diversity and its multiculturalism um but i when i kind of you know the more i learn about my parents lives here 
the more I'm kind of presented with a, well, the more I kind of, I, the more and more skeptical I become of Melbourne's identity as this really inclusive and safe and like, you know, peacefully diverse place. Um, you can put a, a bunch of people from all over the world into one into the same place. Doesn't mean that the that there's not going to be racism going on. You know, you can say that it's multicultural and it is, but doesn't mean it, that it's accepted and peaceful as a multicultural place. Mm. Yeah, but I feel like maybe our generation has, like, we have probably had we probably have a very different experience of Melbourne to our parents because we were raised here mostly. Um, And like, you know, for example, my dad moved here when he was like 37 or something. Um, And, you know, that I guess it'd be a lot harder to move somewhere when you're 37 with an accent, having lived elsewhere than it would be to be raised in a place and like, you know, in some ways blend in. Um, but yeah, have you like, do you feel like, do you feel like Melbourne is your home? Yeah, I do. Cause I don't know anything different, you know, spent the majority, the vast majority of my life here. Yeah. Hmm. Is it confusing for you at all to have, family overseas like do you feel like you know there's a part of you that hasn't been able to like express itself because it's somewhere else yeah sure i think um yeah to an extent like i think if i stayed in bosnia or croatia i would have been more uh developed as the kind of culturally and you know i would have been more true or something whereas here i'm a little bit like neither here nor there but that's that's my norm so i I, that's all i have to go with um but yeah you know what i mean like if i was over there i'd probably be playing soccer and accordion and like really have a good sense of my identity because it was it's been prescribed for hundreds of years whereas now as a first generation I, i don't know my first generation or I guess me and my parents are both at the same time, first generation, because we came here together. It's like their, obviously, their identity is kind of warped, obviously. They, they, this isn't their home, but it is now. For me, it feels like it is, but I'm kind of somewhere in between. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I guess I feel I feel the same, the same way. Um, like my mum moved here when she was 10, with her family from Macedonia. Uh, and they say seven's a cutoff for accent. Is it true in your mum's case? Not for my mum, no. I guess she's got like, she's got a, like you, you would, you wouldn't, you like you'd think that she was from Melbourne, but like you can tell that she's, like you know she's you can tell that she's not anglo yeah like you know she there's like you know variations to like the melbourne accent and i guess she's got like you know like a you know migrant family (laughs) english accent yeah which like i have had and have like you know suppressed and brought out at times and i feel like you know if i go to epping or something and i'm with my relatives like you know, I can hear myself speaking. A little bit different. Yeah, a, little bit different. a little bit more relaxed or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is like, you know, I wonder, I often wonder like, you know, whether all of these like different changes, the different ways that I like choose to, choose to and choose not to express myself and my identity, whether like I there would be, a version of myself that would be most at peace. Like if I, you know, always spoke like, you know, a particular way, or if I like wasn't as concerned with, 
you know, like yeah. being articulate or whatever, yeah, whether yeah. like I'd be a lot less anxious or something. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe yeah. Melbourne's a bit like that. It forces you to be a bit of a chameleon and you have to cater almost everything about yourself. Whether you're at work or you're with friends or with different groups of friends or whatever, you end up having different accents, different um, values. Who knows? You know, I think I think a lot of people probably struggle to have a sense of their identity till way later. I don't know when it is, but maybe it never happens. Mm. Do you feel like there's a version of yourself that, when you express it, makes you feel the most at home? Or easy or something. Yeah, maybe when I'm at home by myself making music. Hmm. Yeah, could be. Hmm. That's awesome. It's awesome that you found something like that. Yeah. Because um, I think it's pretty. I think it's probably pretty hard. I wonder whether most people have like an awareness of their their thing. Yeah, and their potential and everything. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like you found your thing? Well, I think at this stage, I think it is, but who knows? Maybe there's, maybe it's not my thing. Maybe there's something maybe I'd be even better at. the accordion or something. Yeah. <laughs> Get into soccer or something. Yeah. yeah. One thing that I'm really interested in and one thing that I feel like I've kind of only recently entered is the creative scene in Melbourne. Um, and I feel like at times it's, a very supportive place and at times it's like a pretty like standoffish and hostile place um what's your experience of being a creative person in melbourne been like um more or less i think um it's been supportive and uh, a nice um I'm going to start that again. <laughs> for the most part, it's been... Actually, I don't know what I'm saying for the most part because it sounds like I'm going to say that although... Um, I, I can't... I My experience of it has been pretty good. I can't... Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the hostility and stuff that you've experienced? Yeah. So I think like... I think I feel like in in like kind of the writing philosophy university creative scene it feels like there is a, a like a real elitism that some people kind of carry around with them you know they're like have you read this do you know this person like you know have you like, you know, did you go see this thing? Like, have you been here? Do you know this? Do you know this theory? All right. So they're just trying to actually um, be condescending and suggest that if you haven't, then you're not on the same level as them. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's like, that's one thing that's really bothered me that like, that there is like some kind of element of competition to it. There's like some big, like one upman ship thing yeah i don't i don't think that's a good thing personally i think it sounds like those people are gripping onto those things for their own sense of validation you know maybe they're actually a little bit insecure and they're saying have you have you read this or have you read that as a way of holding on to their own sense of um you know status Whereas if they didn't have that, then they wouldn't have anything to stand on. But really, it shouldn't matter if you have read or not or been to those things. It doesn't change who you are and your ability to grow and develop. So, I don't know. It sounds a bit yeah, competitive and hostile, like you said. Mm, yeah. And I'm wondering whether, what, whether that's just like part of the part of like the circle that I'm in and maybe the music circle is different. Like maybe there isn't like as much a culture of like, you know, people like flexing and being like, oh, like I got published. here." Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think, yeah, less so in music. I think 
the competition that occurs in the music scene is often healthy or at least in my experience like if you if someone's really good or whatever it shouldn't jade you or make you feel negatively if anything it should inspire you to strive in your own pursuits you know and is that like is do you know if that's how you feel or whether that's like the general culture well that's how i feel Mm. and as for the general culture i don't want to speak on Mm. on behalf of anyone else but i'd like to think that that's what happens i mean i'm sure there are times when people feel negatively towards their peers because of their achievement but it doesn't do the individual any service feeling like that i think competition can be healthy but only if you frame it that way in your mind mm. yeah shouldn't put other people down full stop in any pursuit yeah yeah um and do you one other thing that i think about in melbourne's creative scene is whether or not it's a like an accessible place to enter like i guess most people many people who i know who are like creatives in melbourne like grew up in particular areas and like went to particular schools um uh and i guess like maybe i'm just thinking about like this part of town the inner north like i went to school really close to here and i feel like you know it's like it feels pretty insular at times Mm. and it feels like you know to find a way in like you know you have to have always been here or something um but i don't know like you know it's entirely possible for me just to be like massively overthinking all this shit and like really like none of this is true and none of it matters but what what do you think no, I, th- I think it's if you feel it, it probably is true to an extent in your circles and stuff. Um, yeah, there can be a bit of um, insularness, I guess, in in scenes. But I don't think it should stop anyone. I think you just need a little bit of confidence to enter any new space. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And how did like, how did you kind of? how did you get into the like into the music scene was it like just by kind of making music and over the years you met people yeah pretty much it was very slow like um, uh, slow release yeah um just by making music and then showing a few people when you over time you meet different people and you know if you play a show then then, then that's basically it's only up from there kind of thing yeah yeah i was like i didn't have to think too much about breaking into a scene it just kind of happened gradually over time that's yeah that's that's really nice um and sounds like yeah like you know sometimes i wonder whether like it's just in my nature to like worry about this kind of stuff um yeah and overthink things so i yeah i don't know i guess it's it's hard for me to know how much is me like being uneasy a lot of the time and how much of these things are actually part of the culture um but yeah Um, i don't blame you for overthinking anything it's not a hard thing to do mm. But yeah, I wouldn't, I, I would trust yourself as well. I wouldn't say that it's just you overthinking anything and that it's not like that. There, there must be something that makes you think that it's the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your, your circles do sound very kind of academic and elite. So I don't think it's, you don't have to worry about you overthinking anything. If people are saying to you, have you, well, have you read this? Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. You read that? <laughs> yeah, true. That's very true. Um, yeah. Do you have good comebacks for those kinds of people? Or? Uh, 
probably like I think like you know when I was younger I was like really affected by it and like it did like you know like make me feel like self-conscious and like stupid or something for like not having read stuff and I think like there's still certainly part of that now like um you know being at uni like studying philosophy there's a lot of like showing off that happens people like oh i read this book and they like name they name some like unheard of philosopher and you're like what the fuck are you talking about like who is this person why how can you expect me to know this um but yeah i think now like in terms of comebacks i think like yeah i think like if it's if it's someone i'm close to i tell them i'm like stop like it's not it's not nice. Yeah. Like, it's not doing anything. And there's a way you can, like... There's a way you can, like, introduce people to things that isn't, like... Have you read, like, the Like, you can just be like, hey, I read this cool thing. I think you'd like it. Yeah. Here's what it's called. So, I don't know. Like, do you have any potential comebacks? Well, I, th- I think that um, at this point in the world, I'm sure there's... Um, there's real academic work on almost any topic you could think of. And if you're going to take the perspective of, have you read this, have you read that, then at the end of it, you don't have authority to speak on anything at all. So it completely removes your your freedom to be a free-thinking person. So I don't think it's... That's what I would say. I think I, th- I, think I would say that um, you don't have any right to... to suggest that I can't think about and speak about what I want to speak about just because I haven't read something. Yeah. But that being said, I think that it can go the other way as well. There's, I know a lot of people, not a lot of people, I know a few people who talk out of their rear about things and, you know, they're just kind of, um, what's the word? What's this word? Where you're like, think like contemplating and what's the other word? like that contemplating uh, where people speculate yeah, on things that they have they have no idea about that do have cultural and you know cultural significance and historical significance so it can go the other way as well you know people talk too much about things that they have no idea about but i think if it's about yourself or how you feel you should you don't have to have all the academic knowledge that exists to this date to have any authority to speak on something that affects you or how you feel. Mm. Mm. Cool. That's that's really helpful advice. Thanks. Oh, I don't think I'm giving you advice. You know? I don't, no, I don't no, want to speak like I'm giving advice. Just... <laughs> no, no, but it's. I mean, it's it's really insightful. Um, I think it's really true. Like there is. It seems like there's. You know. Maybe there is a big middle ground where there are people who are like, who are good at, you know, making people feel comfortable in social settings. And I think I'd probably notice both sides a lot more than, you know, the comfortable social things. Like, you know, I only notice the like really wanky or the like really, you know, kind of people who are just talking out of their ass yeah. <laughs> um yeah um one one last one last question um what are you working on at the moment and what what sort of stuff where what should people keep an eye out for uh no, no need to keep an eye out yet it'll probably be you know next year or whenever but i'm working on a new album um i recently got a piano which has changed everything in terms of process you know you've got all the notes in front of you so I'm kind of the way I'm writing songs is a little bit different I spend more time with the chords and exploring new new chords and harmonies and spending longer on it so I think the result is a bit more developed a little bit more um, explorative in terms of harmony and melody I guess you could call it a bit more jazzy and also at the same time a bit more introspective or even more introspective than before and more personal more inward rather than outward Hmm. do you have a name for it yet no if i 
did that, then it would be the thing I was talking about earlier where you... Too early? Yeah, too early. (laughs) It might make me doubt it. True. Cool. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for chatting with me. Thank you. That was great. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Bye.